0: Everybody, just a quick reminder. I know they just mentioned it up there, but uh, prayer summit this Tuesday, and uh, we're gonna have a blast. I'm gonna talk about it a little more again at the end of the message, but we're gonna do a bunch of stuff in the prayer summit on Tuesday, coming out of the out of the message we're doing today. So uh, prayer summit Tuesday, seven to nine. Uh, be there. It really is the heartbeat. We talk about it, but the prayer summit is really it's the heart. Praying is got to be the heart of. Of what the church around the world does, and it's certainly what we want to be the heart of what we're doing here at Southland. So uh, this Tuesday, uh, you'll want to be there. All right. Now, just before we get started here, uh, I had a I had a day this week um, I, where I just happened. It was just a string of people, good friends of mine, uh, in a church, uh, happened to talk to you know four, three or four of them uh, the one morning this week, and uh, each one of them shared stuff that was just going on in their lives, stuff that was going on in marriage, stresses in marriage was a big one, Uh, various stresses, just things in life. And these are all people you would never know. You you would look at them when they come into church, and you would think they have it all together. They have the perfect marriage. Everything's good. And then when you peel back the cover just a little bit, you find, oh, wait, we're all regular people. And you know, it's interesting. I I just find, and so I just, I've had it with me the whole week. I was like, you know what, I just want to start off I want to I want to just talk about that for a minute because I think we come to church every week, and many of us have this sort of like uh, you know a little bit of inferiority whatever it is and we look around at the people around us in church we look at the leaders uh, you look at the staff you look at various people sitting around you and you think well they they just have a good marriage look at they're smiling at each other in church I mean they have they have the perfect marriage and they have the perfectness and they don't have problems with their kids and and you know what the fact of the matter is we all have problems. And just the longer I'm here in the church, the more people I talk to, the more people I pray with, the more people I minister, I just realize every single one of us, including myself, all of us are regular people, all of us have problems, we have stresses in our marriages, we have stresses with our kids, we have stresses at work, we have character issues, because we're all regular people, all right? And, uh, and part of this is just taking down those walls of inferiority and insecurity and all that sort of stuff, so here's, here's my greeting for this morning, I want you to turn to the person next to you and just say you're not perfect, okay? Okay? Just right now, you're not perfect. Now, some of you turn straight to your spouse. You've been been wanting, some of you are a little passive aggressive. Okay, now turn to the person on the other side of you, and they may not be married, it doesn't really matter, but just say, your marriage isn't perfect, okay? Just tell them that. Your marriage isn't perfect. It's not perfect, and if you're single and you're gonna get married someday, it's not gonna be perfect. Nobody here is perfect. Nobody here has a perfect marriage. Nobody here has a perfect life. Every single one of us, myself included, we have hang-ups, we have personal struggles, we have stresses, we have fights. It happens to all of us, and we're all regular people. And uh, it's important, I think, when we come to church, that more and more we take that mass down and, and just realize that we're all regular people who really desperately need Jesus, amen? And, uh, and so we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and specifically now this last, uh, this now in September, we've been working our way through the Lord's Prayer and we're going to continue to do that today. And so I just want to read the Lord's prayer to you and then we'll, we'll get into this. Verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's what we're going to talk about today. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation but deliver us from evil. Father... I thank you, as we saw last week, that you are our heavenly father. You are our heavenly dad. And so we can come to you. We can be real with you. You accept us. You love us. You listen to us. You answer us. Thank you for that. I just pray that during this message today that you would be lifted up, that we would come out of this message knowing your goodness with more trust, with more faith, with more hope, and more of a desire to pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The last couple of weeks, a little bit of quick review here just to lead into this, right? Last couple of weeks we've talked about, you know, the fact, last week we talked about he's our father, he's our dad in heaven, he loves to listen to us. If prayer is not a formula. We've talked the last couple of weeks, I've been trying to hit again and again this whole thing of we have to be real with God in prayer. When we go to God in prayer, uh, just like we did a, little, a couple minutes ago with each other, we have to be real with God in prayer. We don't go to prayer to, to try and impress God. We don't go to prayer to tell God what we think he wants us to hear. We go to God real. We tell him what we're struggling with. We tell him what we're feeling. Uh, we tell him what our needs are. And we just plain go to God real. Okay? Very important to go to God real. If you don't go to God real in your prayer times, your prayer life will suffer. Okay? If you aren't real with God in your prayer time, your prayer times are not going to go very far And this is something I've had to, I'm learning, I'm still learning, God's teaching me, but you know, much of my life, there was lots of things I felt like I couldn't express in prayer. Like when I was really angry at someone, uh, when I was bordering on bitter with someone, I know bitterness is a sin, and lots of times I know, well, maybe I shouldn't be angry about this, so then anything I don't think I should feel, I just don't let myself feel it in prayer. But it doesn't change the fact that I actually feel it. And so more and more, one of the biggest releases for me in prayer over the years has been, in a respectful way, but to tell God how I feel. Not that I go to God raging, oh, I hate, so. no, 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 no. But one of the biggest, one of the biggest comforts in prayer is to know he's your dad in heaven, and yes, maybe what you're feeling isn't right, but you are feeling it. And so you go to him as your father in heaven, and you just tell him, Father, I just feel so angry about this situation. It's unjust, and I don't want it to turn into bitterness, but this is just how I feel right now. And, and then you begin to talk to him about it. That's being real with God in prayer. That nothing's off limits. That if you're feeling it, it's not unspiritual to express that to God and tell him that in a respectful way. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm struggling with. This is where I'm at. That's being real with, in prayer. It's essential. Prayer is not a formula. God is our dad, and we need to be real with him and, and with ourselves uh, in prayer. Okay? Hugely important, but now here today we come to Hallowed be your name, and so we see that there's two sides to this prayer coin. On the one side of this coin is we need to go to the Father real. We need to talk to Him about what's actually going on in our lives, not just you know you know some people go to prayer and they think the only thing God wants to hear about are spiritual things, uh, but that's just weird, okay? A relationship that'd be like you know Ladon La and I. No, Ladon's my wife. Those you're new here. Um, I love her. We have a great marriage. Okay, blessing. God's done so much for us in our lives. Okay, now every night we do. We have a you know a little tradition, and I hope most couples have this tradition. You, you kind of need it. But every night, uh, you know, before we go to bed, we just spend time uh, talking through our day. What happened in our day? Okay. And the reason we do that is because a relationship is made up of the stuff of life. Now, what would somebody do if, you know, what what would we do if someone came to us and said, hey, this is a marriage relationship. You should only talk about marriage things and romantic things. Well, amen, we should talk about marriage stuff. And amen, we should talk about romantic stuff. But I don't know what world you're living in, but you can't just talk about romantic stuff every night, okay? Or maybe you can. Wow, okay? Okay. But, you know, romantic stuff is like, that, that's great. You have to have romance. A romance, awesome. That's, that's a whole other message. I don't want to go down that, that road right now. But the romance side is like, you know, this much of the relationship. The relationship, what is the primary? What's the bulk? What's the meat of the relationship made up out of? It's doing life together. Doing life together. And so the vast majority of our conversations, yes, there's romance in there. Definitely there is. Believe in that. There's got to be a spark in the relationship. But the vast majority of our conversations is we're doing life together. We're talking about what happened to you, what happened to you, what are we struggling with. We do stuff, and that's how the relationship gets built. The relationship gets built by doing life together, going through struggles together, enjoying triumphs together, having fun together. Doing life together is how you build it. And it's the same with God. When you go to prayer, so many people think, this is a time now when I intercede for the world. I intercede for the great things of God. And, uh, and, and some people, they just they immediately go to this spiritual place because they think, I'm talking to God. I have to talk about spiritual things. No, 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 no. If you want to have a relationship with God, talk to him about your life. Yes, there will be times, and some people have an intercessory gift, and they'll pray for the nations, and they just have a passion for that. Wonderful, awesome. But you, don't, but, but you don't go to prayer and talk to God about spiritual things. You go to God. He's your dad, and you talk to him about your life. And you do life with him, and that's how you experience God and walk with God. Because he's your father, okay? But now, having said that, I keep setting this up. Having said that, okay, we want to go to God. When we we want to talk to him about our lives. We want to talk to him about our struggles. We want to talk to him about where we're at. We want to be real with him. But we want to be real with him in a God-focused way, not a self-focused way. Okay? Hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven. Jesus does not teach us to pray. Our Father in heaven... Here's what my life is all about. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The focus of prayer, the core, you know, central component of prayer is that this thing is God-focused. Okay? I want to go to God. Now, again, you say, well, how can I be God-focused and be real at the same time? Okay? There's this, there's this dual, there's this two-sided thing to prayer. I want to go to God with my problems, but I don't want to just end the thing, just focus on my problems. Because if I go to prayer and all I think about in my prayer time is the thing that's frustrating me, I'm going to leave frustrated. If I go to prayer and the only thing I focus on is the thing I'm afraid of, I'm going to leave afraid. If I go to prayer and the only thing I think of is what I'm angry about, I'm going to leave angry. So at a certain point, I have to go to God real about my needs, about what's happening in my life. I've got to talk to him about the things in my life because that's what the, the relationship is, built on life, not these other things that don't have anything to do with my life. But at some point, the shift in my prayer, I have to shift and I have to focus on these things in a God-focused way. I have to bring God, I have to shift my eyes off of my problems onto the one who can solve my problems. Does that make sense? And you'll see this dual reality throughout the Psalms. I mean, the book of Psalms is a wonderful book and it, it, uh, in a book of prayers, that's what it is, teaching, it teaches us to pray and shows us how to pray. Um, but David, and I looked through a few this this week, um, but if you look at David, a number of his psalms, he'll start the psalm off and it's like, oh, my enemies are all around me, I'm just about dead. I'm, oh, and then it's like, everything's hopeless, it's dark, I'm just about, you know, I'm dying, I, Lord, I pray that you would smash them to bits, all kinds of fun stuff at the beginnings of these psalms. But what you'll notice with a number of these psalms is, as he goes through, so he goes to God real, he doesn't go to God and just ignore the stuff of his life and pray about spiritual stuff. He goes to God with the stuff of his life because that's how you build a relationship. He goes to him real, this is what I'm struggling with, this is what I'm feeling, he's very raw, he's very real, but as you work your way through the prayer, you'll start to see that his focus begins to shift. It shifts from how bad the problem is to the God who can solve that problem. And by the end of the psalm, He'll be praising God, you are my deliverer, you are the one who hears me, you are the one who answers my prayers, and he's been real in prayer, but he's been real in prayer in a God-focused way. We want to be real with God in prayer, but not in a self-focused way, we want to be real in prayer in a God-focused way. See, because one of the main purposes of prayer, if not the main purpose, in fact, the main purpose of all of life, really, But the main purpose of prayer is to get to know God. That's the reward. That's the reward. That's the great purpose of life. That's the great purpose of prayer is to get to know God. And what these other things of life are, these problems and these situations and these seasons and these people in your life, is these are all kind of like the excuse for getting to know God. These are the things that provide the context. You can't can't get to know that God is your healer unless you're sick so sickness provides a context to learn something about god or he's your comforter you you can't get to know god as your protector unless you get attacked somewhere in life so if you run into enemies or you get attacked this gives you the context for finding out something about god so you don't want to ignore your problems when you go to prayer because these problems give you the context for getting to know God. But at the same time, you don't want to just focus on the problem. You want to bring the problem to God in a God-focused way. Does that make sense? Because it's the stuff of life. It's the real things that are actually happening to you in your life. Those are things placed there by God so you can get to know him. And he wants to hear about that stuff, but he doesn't want to hear it from you in a way that is self-focused. And you just go to prayer and it's just like, I have this problem. 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 Have this problem. It's Lord, I got this problem. I feel really horrible and you tell them this for a bit, but now Lord, I just need to know where you are in this thing. Okay? And so we want to bring this stuff of our daily lives to God in a way that is relational. So now I gotta just make that practical because that otherwise it's just theory. So I say that to you, it sounds good. Okay, I've got to bring my problems to, to God in a way that is relational. And, and I think the, way, the best way that we do that is ask God questions about God in the things you're struggling with, in the things you're going through. Okay, and I'll give you a sample few questions. There's, but I mean, there's any. I don't have, you know, when it comes to my wife, LaDawn, I don't have four questions that I ask her every night, and it's like a formula again. No. You, can, you, you make these whatever you want, but these are just some questions that I've used, but they, they, this can go anywhere. Okay, and there's any kind, number of questions you could ask. These are the types of questions you can ask God. But the point of prayer is to get to know God and to be real at the same time. So here's the kinds of questions you can ask. So for example, you have a situation in your life. You ask God, where are you in this situation or problem or season of my life? Notice how God-focused that is. You're not, you're, you're being real with God. Here's my problem. You tell him how you feel. But you're not staying there. Now you bring that problem. You're saying, now where are you in this thing? Okay? Where are you in this thing? Okay? Where are you in this season? What are, you, what are you doing? And that brings us up to the next one, right? What are you trying to do or already doing in this situation or problem or season of my life? Okay? Because the fact of the matter is, God is sovereign. He's all powerful. He's the creator of the universe. You can bet he's up to something. It's not like you go to him with a problem and it's like, Oh, I didn't know you were having that problem. Quick, angels, counsel, what are we going to do here? No. I mean, he, he formed you in your mother's womb, okay? He knew your whole life, every one of your days was written out in his book before one of them came to be. That's what it says in Psalm 139. So nothing that happens to you in your life is a mistake. He's sovereign over it all. In all of it, he's working. In all of it, he's at work. In you and the people around you and your family, in everything, he's at work. So what a beautiful question. Why not talk to him about that? So you go to God, and it's like, oh, Lord, I am so discouraged. I'm being attacked at work. I'm being accused of things I did not do. Ba-ba-ba, you go to him, you, this is what you're feeling. You reel with him, but now you don't stay there. Lord, what are you doing in this? Because you can bet he's at work, and nothing surprises him. Another question, who do you want to be for me in this situation or problem or season of my life? Again, each, everything that happens to you in your life is an excuse for God to reveal something about himself to you. See, in lots of us, this is where so many Christians in North America, in our Western culture, were very much about the head. We're very much about the brain, about head knowledge, which is good. It's not bad. Head knowledge, it's not that head knowledge is bad. It's that head knowledge isn't enough. So we go to church all of our lives and we view Christianity as as I go to church and I learn about God. So I learn about the attributes of God in here. I learn that God is loving and I learn that God is righteous and I learn that he's a protector. And we learn all these things in our heads. And that's a great thing. I mean, that's the starting place. Know it in your head. That's a starting place. Go to the Bible, and what are the attributes of God? That's a wonderful thing. Awesome. Love it. You, I mean, you got to start there. It's not bad to know things in your head, but it's not enough. Real life is not knowing in the Bible because, the, because it says, so God is good. Oh, God, you're good. Oh, God, you are a healer. Oh, God, you are a comforter. Thank you for being a counselor. That's not life. Life is, God's a counselor. Something comes up in your life where you need help. You need wisdom. So you go to him, oh God, I need wisdom. And you pray and he speaks to you and he gives you wisdom and you go, you're my counselor. You're my comforter, you're my healer, you're my you know, whatever, father, all these things. Real life is experiencing these attributes to be true in your life. So all the things that are happening to you in your life are an excuse for you to get to know God. So ask him, it's a wonderful question to ask, who do you want to be for me right now in this season? Who, what do you want to show me about yourself in this problem I'm having? That's life. Fourth question, again, it's not the, I mean, you write these down, I think that's great, um, but it's not that these are the only questions you can ask. You're going to come up with your own questions as you walk with God. Lots of different things you can ask him and talk to him about. But one that I've been hitting a lot the last month, because I just hope that eventually at some point it'll stick with some of you, but is what is your... Heart, what is your hopeful heart for this person, situation, problem, season of my life? So, you go to God with something and you're frustrated about it, or you're scared, or you're angry, and then you say, Okay, but Lord, I know that you are a bottomless well of love and hope. So, I I just need your heart now on this. I've told you what I feel, and I can't help it. I just feel that. But now I need your heart on this. Ask Him for His heart. I had a situation one time, uh, and if you ever have a situation where it's like you feel option A, option B, and neither of them is good? And, and I had a person, and wonderful, awesome, amazing person, had nothing to do with the person, but I, I just, I felt like I needed to ask this person some questions uh, about intentions, different things, what they were doing, and, and I felt like it could turn into a confrontation. So option A was go and ask the questions, but maybe it gets interpreted wrong and it doesn't work out. Or option B is ignore the situation entirely and maybe it gets worse later on. Although those aren't two good options, you know what I mean? And so I'm going, God, and so I told God, I said, God, I'm I'm like, I can't figure it out. I've tried it in my head, you know, and I've, you know, and often, you know, we do listening prayer. And one of the reasons, you know, why I think it's so great to ask God for his heart is often you hear heart to heart better than head to head. Did you ever know that? Often, you know, we're asking God head questions when we should be asking Him heart questions. So we're often asking Him, is it option A or option B? And He's going, neither. I mean, if you're just asking a head question, you're missing it because actually it's not option A or option B. It's actually option C. You're asking, Lord, should I work at McDonald's or Burger King? And He's going, it's Wendy's, you idiot. <laughs> okay? So, it's, it's, so, that, and so that's a lot of times people get... They get frustrated in listening prayer because they're asking these head questions. And, and God often wants to lead us there too, obviously. But often our questions are wrong. When we ask the heart questions, he can get through a lot easier. So I asked him, I said, Lord, I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm a little scared. I don't know what I should do. Doing nothing doesn't seem like a good option. It seems like that could turn out worse later on. Doing something seems like I could cause a mess. So, Lord, I just, but then I just stopped. So I said, okay, I brought this to you now. Here's what I know. I know that you're sovereign and I know that you're good. And so I just want to hear your hopeful heart. I want to hear your hopeful heart for the situation. So I just, I, I just waited, maybe a minute, and all of a sudden, and the amazing thing when you ask for his heart, when you ask for head stuff, it's often like, oh, I wonder if that was him. Because like, then your mind just starts making stuff up, right? And all of a sudden things are coming out. It's like, oh, I don't know. Was that God? Was that God? But when it's his heart, you know it's him immediately when it comes. And I said, Lord, what's, what's your hopeful heart on this situation? Immediately, he also helped me see this person in a whole new light. And uh also I saw this person carrying tremendous weights in their life. Tremendous weights. The moment I saw that, I knew my approach was all wrong. My, my option A, option B approach was all wrong. And the Lord said, Actually, what I want you to do is I just want you to, to help this person. And in that moment, I'm like, oh. Option C, God's heart. Suddenly I felt something totally different. Suddenly my perspective and my goals in the situation were totally different. And you know, the whole thing worked out absolutely awesome. In fact, the things I was afraid of didn't come out to be true at all anyway. And God just did this huge, awesome, amazing thing. But through, and through it all, I got to know some more about God. I got to have a memory of God coming through for me again and answering me. You start to build up this store of memories that I know when I'm stuck in a situation, I don't know where I can go, I know I can go to the Father, and He'll lead me through this thing. I know He has a good heart, and I know He'll show it to me. And as a result, you begin to grow in love for Him. If I hadn't had that life experience, I wouldn't have got to have that memory with Him. But because I had that experience and I got to and I brought it to Him in a God-focused way, I could get to know God and love Him more through it. That's what all of life is about. Now, of course. It doesn't always work out that nicely. You're going, oh, okay. Uh, if I just ask him for his heart, all my personal situations will always work out that nicely. Not necessarily. Like sometimes the people you're working with are actually just bad. Let's just admit it. Some people are just hard. They're just deceptive. And they're in a wicked place. And they're not repentant or soft. And sometimes you'll ask for his heart and he'll give you hope. But the hope won't be that the situation will be cleaned up. It'll be hope in a different way. I, don't, I want you to be naive that this is now, you'll never have another relational problem again in your life. You will. But even in those problems, in those messes, you can ask him for his heart. You can get a new heart, a new way of viewing yourself, a new way of viewing the problem and the people. It's all because of his heart. And you get to know him. It's wonderful, absolutely wonderful way of praying. You say, well, what does all this have to do with our Father in heaven? Hallowed be your name. Everything. Because that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. See, we look at hallowed be your name. And it, it, we don't use the word hallowed in everyday language. At least I don't, okay? And if you did use that all the time, you would sound weird, okay? So we, we see, so it gets translated there, hallowed. And we go, okay, it just sounds spiritual jargony. So we read that part and, and some people just take it, okay, this is the part now. Hallowed be your name. It just has this, oh, we just hallow your name, right? We just, oh, we lift up, oh, God almighty, hallelujah. And we just, we can get spiritually, and it's fine to do that. Okay, it's not that it's bad to do that, but that's not what he's talking about here. He didn't use the word hallowed. He was speaking in Aramaic to regular people. Okay? But that, this, is, this hallowed be your name, all that is is prayer. What prayer is supposed to be is Lifting up the name of Jesus. What does that even mean? Okay, I'm lifting up the name of Jesus. I'm lifting up the name. No, no. All of, you want, know Lifting up the name of Jesus. Exalting the name of Jesus. Hallowing the name of the Father. All that is is in prayer, I, constantly, I consciously stop and I cycle back over and over and over again to the goodness of God. And when I think about the goodness of God and when I discover the goodness of God and when I praise him for his goodness, I'm glorifying him. I'm lifting up his name. I'm hallowing his name. And a central core component of what prayer is, is hallowed be your name. All prayer must be founded and centered on the goodness of God. That I am in prayer, I'm discovering him to be good. I had a situation, I went to God, oh, your heart is good, you show me the way you brought me through it, I praise you, that's hallowing his name. That's what hallowed be your name is. And this isn't just supposed to be one section of your prayer time. When I say Hallowed be your name is is central to everything you pray. See, a lot of people, they think, Hallowed be your name is one section. So I go to the, I get to the Hallowed be your name section. This is the section where I worship God. And I worship God, I worship God, I worship God. Ten minutes. Next section. Now I do the next section of my prayer life, which is pray for the stuff I need, pray for the stuff I need, pray for the stuff I need, pray for the stuff I need. And then I finish whatever the sections are. Now it's not bad to have sections in your prayer time. I'm not against people having sections. It can be for some personalities. It can be a wonderful help just so you know what you're doing, and you just feel safer having sections. So I have a confession section, I have an intercession section, and I have an asking God for things section, and so you have your sections. Okay? Totally fine, but what ha- the problem is we put the hallowed be your name is that's a section. This is the section where I worship God and praise Him, and then I have these other sections. No. That's not how it's supposed to work. Hallowed be your name is everything in prayer. What I'm talking about here is not, I do 10 minutes of Hallowed Be Your Name, and then I do 10 minutes of something else. What I'm talking about here is, in everything I do, I do it in a way that is centered and standing on the goodness of God. So yeah, it's great to have a time. My devotion time this morning, I had a time, I started off my time just by praising and worshiping God. But I did. But then I went on to asking God some things, and while I was asking him for things, I was coming back to the goodness of God. So even when you're bringing him your problems, you bring him your problems, but you're doing it in a God-focused way, you're discovering him to be good in those problems, you're hallowing his name. It's all about the goodness of God. So you go to God about a, a problem at work, and a, a, you know someone's accusing you at work, and you're being blamed for things. You bring this thing to God, but you don't just bring it to him Help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Oh, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Okay, there's a, okay, a little bit of that. Go to him and be real. But then it's, bring it to him. Now, Lord, what are you doing in this? Who are you in this? And then he says, I want to show myself to you to be your vindicator. I'm going to prove you to be innocent. And you go, oh, I worship you. And now your, your intercession, you're asking him for something, has turned into worship And all parts of our time. You go to him in your confession time. Even your confession time should all come back to the goodness of God. Because you go to God and you say, Lord, I'm sorry I did it again. I'm sorry I yelled at the kids last night. Man, I missed it. Or I'm sorry I I engaged in gossip and slander yesterday. Again, I'm so sorry I did that. But then you don't just stay there. See, a lot of people, confession is so important. If I do something bad to my wife, I need to say sorry. That's part of restoring the relationship. If I do something bad to my kids, I need to say sorry. That's part of, you know restoring the relationship. When I do something bad with God, I say, sorry, because I need to restore the relationship. But I don't stay there. I don't then just beat myself up over and over again. Oh, I'm so bad. I'm so wicked. I'm so imperfect. And I'm just beating myself up. No, no, no. I say, sorry. And now it's about the goodness of God. Oh, I thank you that you forgive. I thank you that your faithfulness is bigger than my unfaithfulness. And again, your confession time, your intercession time, every part of your prayer time comes back to the goodness of God in whatever it is you're praying about. That's hallowed be your name praying. Hallowed be your name praying. Everything comes back to how good God is. Everything centers on how good he is in that situation, in that problem, in that thing you're struggling with. This is why I think hallowed be your name is one of the most important aspects of prayer, if not the most important. And you can tell, people who get this in prayer and who don't. There, there are many people out there who are well-meaning. They're actually really good people. They actually genuinely love God. They know that prayer is important. They talk to God about the stuff in their lives. But when you, but when you talk to them, they're always weak and defeated in their prayer lives. It's always like, I'm praying about this thing. I'm praying forever. I just don't know when God's going to answer. And they're discouraged. And they're good people. God just isn't answering me. He just doesn't answer my prayers. And they're, but they're discouraged in their prayers. They do it. They know God is good in their heads, but they don't know it experientially in their hearts. And their prayers are defeated and discouraged. And part of the reason is because they go to God, but they don't see the goodness of God in their, pro, in their problems. They just go to God with their problems, and they're focused on their problems. And so they have a prayer life, but they're just still discouraged and defeated. Then other people who get this, it's, the, it's like the most wonderful thing for your prayer life. It's the most wonderful thing for your life. That everything is about the goodness of God. And so you go to God and you're totally real with him and you're totally honest and you're absolutely just vulnerable with him about how you feel and everything. But you come out of your prayer times and it's different because the focus is God, how good he's being to you and you're discovering how good he's being to you in each of these things. And these are the people who come out of their prayers hopeful, with faith, with joy. They want to pray. There's a fuel there. It's so important. So, let's get really practical here for just a few minutes, because I I just, it's so important that we not, I I don't want this to be just theory, so I want to sum up some of the things I've already said, and then finish with the last thing, but I just want three things. How do we become, hallowed be your name, it's all about the goodness of God, prayers. How do we become those kind of people, we're not discouraged prayers, who are focused on our problems, but we're real with God in our problems, we find him in our problems, how do we become, hallowed be your name, those kinds of prayers, well, Three things. First one, we already talked about. I'll just put it up there. I'm just summing this up a little bit here. Ask God questions about God in each of the things you're praying about. Ask God questions about God. Everything you talk to him about, ask him questions about him. Even if you talk to him about good things. Anything in your life, you just go to him talk to him about life. Hey God, we've had a great week of marriage. You know, we're really growing. God, thank you for this thing. You You know, our oldest just turned five or ten or whatever you just go to him with the stuff of your life and then just say and god what are you doing in that what are you feeling about that ask him about his heart ask him what he's doing ask him where he's at ask him about him in the situations of your life that's the first way because it's only by discovering who he is and what he's doing and all those things that we can hallow his name that we can lift his name up secondly confess your sins very important we must confess we must repent and some sins are very serious, maybe adultery or something like that. There's serious sins where you have to go through a period. There might be a period of mourning you need to work through, a period of godly sorrow, period of repentance, okay? Um, but then there's just a lot of sins where it's just the kind of, you know, I just say sorry, that was stupid what I did yesterday. But whatever it is, in your confession, it's important that we say sorry. It's important in those big things that we work through a period of, of sorrow and repentance. But in all things, we don't focus only on how bad we are. We confess our sins, and then we move on to the goodness of God. And I just explained a bunch about that, but God's desire for you in prayer is not that you spend all your time beating yourself up. It does not say our Father, God, Jesus does not teach us to pray, our Father in heaven, look how bad I am. It's our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The focus goes to him. Prayer is based on how good God is, not on how bad you are. So start with, yeah, I messed up. And then move on to, it's not about my unfaithfulness, it's about your faithfulness. It's not about my impurity, it's about your purity. You know, there's a great story that illustrates why this is so uh, in, in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1, famous story, Jesus and a leper. Okay, and you're going to recognize it as soon as I, I read it to you. It's just a couple of verses. But just to give you a little bit of background, okay, uh, in, in Jesus' time, nobody touched lepers. Uh, nobody, and there were, I mean, obviously a couple reasons for this. First of all, you didn't want to touch a leper because you didn't want to get leprosy. And so, and so uh, it was actually the law that lepers, like they would always live outside the village or the town or the city or whatever. If they came, if they were walking down the street and they saw someone, they would have to yell out, unclean, unclean. So that they would know, oh, that's a leper. You cross the other side of the street, you don't want to touch them. Because you could get sick. And it wasn't just that you could get sick. The other thing that was going on was, I mean, there's fear of getting the disease. That was a big thing but also it was part of the Old Testament ceremonial laws. And the Old Testament ceremonial laws had these clean and unclean laws. And uh, so there were things that were considered unclean and there were things that were clean. And if you touched, if a clean, like if you were clean and you touched an unclean thing, the unclean thing would make you unclean. And it was a picture, it was an Old Testament picture of the importance of holiness that we need to come out and be separate from sin. Okay, and so if you were clean, so you're clean, you touch something that's unclean, depending on what you touched, you would be ceremonial uh, ceremonially unclean until either evening or until the following week. Okay, and then there was a bunch of rituals you'd have to do to get clean again, but while you were unclean, you couldn't go into the temple, you couldn't participate in religious life, all that sort of stuff. So, so in Jesus' day, I mean, they were very careful about stuff like, okay, oh... You know, uh, whatever, you know, uh, Sabbath is coming up or Passover is coming up or whatever. I can't touch anything unclean because then I won't be able to participate. And so lepers were not just, you know, it wasn't just that you avoided them because of the disease. I mean, that would have probably been the main reason for most people. But also part of it was that they were unclean. You don't touch something that's unclean because it makes you unclean. Okay? But then in Mark chapter 1, we have this incredible uh, story. And this is going to touch in totally onto focusing on the goodness of God even after we confess our sins. But in Mark chapter 1, we see this in verse 40, and a leper came to Jesus, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, right away already, this, lepers weren't supposed to do that. You don't run up to someone and talk to them. But this leper has run up to Jesus and is talking to him. Now, if Jesus was a regular human being, he should be running in the other opposite direction, okay? Or, you know, holding this guy off with a stick or something, but don't come up and talk to me. You're going to make me unclean or you could give me the disease. Okay, but Jesus doesn't do that, right? Verse 41, move with pity. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Now, again, we're not shocked by this anymore. It's, it's too bad. We, you know, we've just got so much head knowledge about Jesus. Oh, of course, Jesus touched the leopard. He just, leopard, uh, leper. Um, Of course, Jesus touched the leper. That's what Jesus does. He touches lepers. He hugs lepers. lepers, He heals lepers and all this sort of stuff. And we're we're just not shocked by it anymore. But everybody watching this is shocked. Because, I mean, Jesus healed lots of people just by talking. You read through the Gospels. He heals lots of people just by talking. Just, you're healed. Yeah, your servant's healed. Don't worry about it. Your servant's healed. They're healed. Just by a word, he just heals. He doesn't need to touch. In this verse, he specifically reaches out and touches He's doing something on purpose here. He reaches out and he's touching, okay? Very important. And again, uh, now obviously, and we go, okay, well, Jesus isn't afraid because we know he's going to heal the leprosy. Well, there's something much bigger going on here than the physical disease itself. And we see it here in, these next, uh, in this next verse. And so Jesus touched him and then said to him, I will, in other words, I want to, be clean. And then verse 42, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Now again, We all go, okay, yeah, he got healed of his leprosy. The healing of the leprosy, that's not the most amazing thing about this story. In some ways, that's kind of the sidebar. That's just the visible proof that what Jesus was doing under the surface was actually true. Okay, because the real amazing thing here, yeah, I mean, it is amazing, and it is incredible that he healed the man's leprosy. That's great. That's awesome. Amazing. But the bigger thing that is happening here is this is a revelation of who Jesus is, Anybody else who touches an unclean thing becomes unclean. I mean, in a sense, the category of unclean is stronger than the category of clean. If a clean thing touches an unclean thing, the clean thing becomes dirty, not the other way around. The unclean thing doesn't become clean. But in Jesus, what we see here is Jesus touches unclean, and Jesus doesn't become unclean. The unclean thing becomes clean. This is a revelation. This, everybody watching this is like shock and awe. This Jesus transcends the category of unclean. He's bigger than unclean. Anybody else touches unclean, they get dirty. He touches unclean, and unclean becomes clean. In other words, the goodness of God, this is God we're looking at. The goodness of God is bigger than the worst evils that have ever happened in this world. That's something hard for us to imagine. People ask, oh, how can God allow this evil? Oh, this horrible evil. There can't even be a God because how could a God. And the, the problem is we don't, have, we don't see clearly with our eyes. Someday we're going to see Jesus with our eyes. We're going to see him and we're going to be blown away by his goodness. And we're going to be blown away to find that his goodness is so big, it swallows up the worst evils this world has ever seen. And someday he's going to come back and he's actually going to swallow up evil. He's going to wipe away every tear and he's actually going to turn everything evil that ever happened for the good of those who loved him. So God's goodness is actually vastly transcended. His goodness is much better than the badness of the worst evil. You say, well, what does this have to do with confession and prayer? How has everything to do with it. Because some of us, we tend to just self-condemn. We go to prayer, and it's like, how weak I am, how weak I am, how weak I am. What we don't realize is when you touch Jesus in prayer, how imperfect I am, how imperfect I am, how bad I am, how sinful, how impure. What you don't realize is that when you touch Jesus in prayer, when the unclean touches Jesus, the clean flows this way, His strength is bigger than your weakness. His faithfulness is bigger than your unfaithfulness. His purity is bigger than your impurity. Yes, we have to have godly sorrow and repent when we do wrong. But then we go there, and it's actually about His goodness. Thank you, Jesus, that when I come to you, your goodness is bigger than my badness. I need to meditate on your goodness, not on my badness. He's he's much bigger. His goodness is much better Then your badness. And when you do that, your prayer life will begin to come alive because the goodness of God is the fuel for faith and prayer. These are God-centered prayers. Your prayers cease to be, you you go to God real, but your prayers cease to be about yourself. That's death. And your prayers become about the goodness of God in your life. That's wonderful. And this brings us to the last thing, which is the third thing, which is gratitude in everything. Gratitude in everything everything, if a core component of prayer is, hallowed be your name. If all of prayer is about lifting up the name of Jesus and lifting up the name of the Father and finding him to be absolutely amazingly good in every single thing, then gratitude is the practical outworking of that. Gratitude is hallowed be your name in action. Gratitude is the heartbeat of all of prayer that now everything we pray, we pray with thanksgiving. Hallowed be your name. Thank you, God, for how good you've been to me in this. Thank you, God, for what you're already doing. Thank you, God, for what you've promised me. Everything in prayer becomes, hallowed be your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for taking care of me. You know, I looked up in my word search program this week, I I looked up in Paul's letters, how many times the Apostle Paul talks about thanks and thanksgiving. It's dozens and dozens. It's everywhere. You read through Paul's letters, and over and over and again, it's, I'm giving thanks for this, I'm giving thanks for that, give thanks for this, give thanks for that. And you know, Paul also talks a lot about prayer, and one of the most common things he talks about in relation to prayer is giving thanks. Like, if you want to know the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul loved to pray. He was always going to pray for those who are in, in places of power and pray for the church and pray for me. Pray without ceasing. He was constantly, he was often talking about prayer, the importance of prayer. And in many of the places where he's talking about prayer, he ties it together with thanksgiving. I'll just, I'll just take you through a few passages. Let me show you a couple of these, a couple examples. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, says this. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is actually God's will. This verse is God's will for each of us here today. God's will is that you and I would rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances circumstances, and by the way, if you want to become that kind of a person who prays without ceasing, pray without ceasing here is not you go into your basement and pray all day. It's, I mean, yeah, you got to have your, your time with God, but then throughout the day, you continue to pray, you continue to converse with them, you continue to listen to them, praise him. Why? What even makes that possible? For many of us, prayer tires us out. This kind of praying doesn't tire you out when it's fueled by thanks. Prayer that isn't fueled by thanks will tire you out and discourage you. Prayer that is fueled by thanks can go on and on and on and on and on, and it brings life. Give thanks in all circumstances. How about this one, Ephesians 5, 18 to 20? And do not get drunk with wine. It's a whole other message. Hopefully many of you aren't convicted by that this morning, but if you are, let that sit there. And do not get drunk with wine, okay? For that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Even when you're watchful in prayer, There's a problem coming. You're seeking the Lord's will. What are you saying? What are you doing? And you're seeking God and there's a potential issue. Even when we're watchful in prayer, even when we're praying about problems, be watchful with what? With thanksgiving. Everything with thanksgiving. And again, this is, you can tell the difference. There's well-meaning people who pray and there's people who pray powerfully and joyfully. There's well-meaning people who pray, they pray discouraged, they pray hopeless they feel down, they feel defeated often, but they're praying, but it's not doing, it doesn't seem to do much for them in the the hope category, in the faith category. And then there's people, it doesn't matter, they, they haven't got their prayer request answered yet either, but they're filled with hope. Why? One is praying, focus on the goodness of God, thank you for what you're doing, thank you for all the stuff you've already done, and one is just praying, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Paul says this, Philippians 4 6 to 7. Love this passage. Do not be anxious about anything. That's not even possible, right? Now you're going, that's impossible, okay? It's a command. Do not be anxious about anything. How is that possible? How do we obey that? Here's the practical. But in everything, okay? And again, everything is a huge, huge word, isn't it? It means, it means everything, In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul says, you don't have to worry about a single thing in your life. And he went through some crazy stuff. I mean, he was abandoned. He spent a night and day in the open sea. That would have been freaky. He was beaten a bunch of times and all kinds of crazy stuff. He had stresses and and different things going on. But he said, you don't have to be anxious about a single thing. How is that possible, Paul? One way. Every single thing in your life, you bring it to God in prayer. So you're going, well, I'm doing that, and I'm still anxious. Yeah, because it's not just bring everything in your life to God in prayer. That's step one. Some of you don't even do that. Some of us just do life. We never talk to God about life. You don't have a relationship with him. Bring everything to him in prayer with thanksgiving. And if you bring everything to God, everything in your life, you talk to him about the good things, the bad things, the real things, the frustrating things, the hard things, the scary things, you bring everything to him him in prayer. Everything's on the table. He's a loving father. He wants to hear about your your problems. He wants to hear about your day. But you bring it to him with thanksgiving. Hallowed be your name. I'm finding the goodness. I'm finding your goodness in these things. And if you do that, look at this this next part of the promise. And the peace of God which which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is an amazing promise that you don't have to be anxious about anything and that you can have the peace of God in your heart about every situation and problem and frustration in your life. If you bring everything to Him in prayer with thanksgiving. You know, the Lord's been working with me. This is not something, I'm not naturally good at this. And I'm one of those people in a category of well-meaning people who pray, you know, much of my life, well-meaning people who pray, but often what I'm calling praying is actually just worrying. It's actually just bringing stuff to God and, oh God, help me with this. God, help me with this. Please, can you help me with this? Can you help me with this? And then finally you say amen. And this past year, God's been this has been one of the things God's been working with me in my life. This past year in January in prayer and fasting month, I uh, love prayer and fasting month. These, these are the great times to just, you know, really seek after God at the end of the year. And, um, and this last year in Perth and Fasting Month, one of the things God said to me at one point was He said, this is going to be a season of gratitude, of you learning to be thankful. And because I'm one of those people, and by the way, just to stop right there, that's a wonderful question to ask God sometime. I dare you to ask God that this week. Just ask Him. Just say, Lord, am I, what season am I in in my life? Ask him that a few days. See if he brings anything to mind. See if he brings any scripture passages. See if he confirms it through someone else. But he, he'll speak to you. What, am, I, is there, am I in a season right now? Are you trying to do something in my life? But anyway, he spoke to he spoke that to me in January. What, what, and I said, what, what, he said, uh, you're in a season of gratitude. You need to learn to be grateful. Because I was one of those people, I knew Thanksgiving was supposed to be a part of your prayer life. So I would have a piece of my, I'd have a section in my prayer life Or I would say thanks. I'd just make a list of things I was thankful for. Every once in a while, it would touch my heart, and I would feel thankful. But most of the time, I would just write down a bunch of things I'm thankful for, and now move on to the really important part, which is asking him for stuff. Help me, help me, help me, help me. And he said, Chris, you you are just approaching prayer all wrong. And so I've been in this season. Here we are, eight, nine months going on. I'm still in that season of learning to be grateful. I'm a slow learner, okay? But one day, God, I, I, I was spending time with the Lord, and he just showed me this picture. He said, Chris, part of your problem is you come to me, you have these needs, a family need, a church need, and you focus on this 10% that I haven't done yet. It could be 1%, 2%, 10%, whatever, but you focus on this little bar of like, this is the stuff I haven't done for you yet. And so you're praying, God, you got to do this, you got to do this, help us with this, help us, help us, help us. And he said, You forget the 90% I've already done. You're constantly living in your prayers, you're constantly living here. There's this, there's this stuff yet that God hasn't done yet, and you forget all of this. He said, you should be living in the 90%. He said, you come to me about stuff in your life you want me to change in your life. And so you're going, oh God, you got to change me, and it's not working, it's not happening, I'm still not changed. And he goes, look how far I've taken you already. And you come to me about stuff in your family. Oh God, I just, I need you to do this, I need you to do this, I need you to do this. And you're focused on the this much that isn't done yet. And look at everything I've done. And in the church, look at everything I've done. But we just focus. We spend our whole time focused in that that 10%, that 1%, that 5%. And we forget the 90, the 95, the 99. I mean, the fact of the matter is, every single prayer time we could start off with thank you, God, that I'm not going to hell. I mean, right there, if he never did anything else for me in the rest of my life, that would be enough for all of eternity to get up every morning and go, woo-hoo, praise God. (laughs) Isn't that true? How many of us stop? I mean, there's so much. You say, what does this mean? Well, there's so much it means. There's so much goodness. God's goodness is all around us. Hallowed be your name. There's lots of ammunition for hallowed be your name. I mean, how many of us, I mean, today, I don't think the sun is out right now, but Yesterday was a beautiful fall day. How many of us ever just stopped to just look out and you see the sun, you see the leaves? Every good and perfect gift is from God. How many people are out there in this world right now? Some of them are in prisons, in horrible places. Some of them are in third world countries, forced to work, you know, slave labor in mines and different things. I mean, the things that people go through, how many of them would give anything to have my freedom and your freedom to walk out onto the grass and just feel the sun beating down on their face? I mean, I read a biography this past summer of a guy in a Chinese who was in a Chinese prison for a number of years because of his love for for Jesus. And I mean, that guy, when he was in prison there, he talks about, you know, he'd give $10 million just to go outside. I mean, what's $10 million when you're in prison? It doesn't matter nothing. He'd give anything to just go outside and just feel the sun on his face and have some grass under his feet. And we totally forget stuff like last night or Friday night or whatever, sitting around the table with family and you're having pizza. Oh, pizza just a hot pizza and the cheese is melting and the crust the texture all oh, the peppers mmm pepperoni it's all just so good and we go to God oh God God all these problems in my life and we just forget you know last night family friends where did all that come from taste smell the beauty goodness all around us he's so good he's just absolutely good and every good and perfect gift comes from him But we live right here. We live in the this. You've done all this. You saved me from hell. Look at all the amazing stuff you've done in my marriage. But instead of looking at all the the amazing stuff you've already done in my marriage, I'm looking at the this much that isn't happened yet. And I'm looking at the this little struggle over here and I forget all the goodness of God that is all around me. And Jesus says, that is how you pray discouraged, defeated prayers. Our Father, your prayer life revolves around this. First of all, he's my dad father he cares about me hallowed be your name every part of my prayer comes back to the goodness of God and when you begin to do that oh it's so wonderful some of you are here today and you have really tough issues you've got a frustrating child perhaps some, that's often the one that hits people the deepest and you don't know what to do and it's it's all anger it's all frustration you keep going to God oh God oh God oh God I'm so frustrated I'm so frustrated and you need to actually just take a step back And remember how glad you are that God gave you that kid to begin with. How glad you are. I mean, if that kid, and this is a morbid thought, but if that kid, but some of you just need to jog your brain a little bit. If that kid that frustrates you so much died tomorrow, you'd be devastated, wouldn't you? You'd say all kinds of nice things about them at the funeral. Why can't you think those things now? Right? Right? You need to step back and just go, okay, God, I'm focusing on the this, and this is really frustrating me, and that's true, but before I even pray about that, I've got to first just thank you, Jesus, that you gave me this kid, and then you pray, Lord, I thank you for some of these good qualities that you've shown me, and thank you for some of these things that you put in them, and thank you for putting them in my life, and out of that, now you come to him, and now you say, and Lord, dad, father, but you pray, everything fueled You come out of, when you come out of the 90%, the 99% of the goodness of God, you pray with faith. Oh, it's so wonderful. You pray with hope. You pray with thankfulness. You can pray and pray and pray and pray without ceasing. You keep praying about stuff and you don't get tired out and it's not death. But when you forget about the 90 and you live into this, your prayer life will discourage you and it'll get you down. So there's lots of different things that we can do in terms of gratitude. And uh, I don't have much more time to talk there because all kinds of practical things we can do with gratitude. So here's a weekly challenge for this week. And the first one is, you have to come to the prayer summit. Oh, but I don't want to come to the prayer summit. Fine, you don't have to. You'll miss it. Your life will be ruined, but uh, it's no problem. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, we're going to do a whole bunch of stuff there with gratitude because there's, there's stuff. I'm one of those people... I spent much of my life making out lists, and then it didn't do anything for me. Thank you for this, thank you for this, thank you for this. Okay, now help me with this. And there's no faith. There's things you can do with gratitude, very practical things, to help it connect with your heart that are wonderful. So we're going to do some of those there. We're also going to do some gratitude exercises there, bringing God problems and challenges and issues in our lives, and being thankful in those things, finding the things to be thankful in those things. We're going to do a whole bunch of gratitude stuff at the prayer Summit on Tuesday night. So come to that. And we'll develop that there. But one thing, in the meantime, one thing you can do in the meantime, today, tomorrow, is take that list. I've been talking about this the last couple of weeks, that list of the two or three biggest challenges or needs in your life, and just ask Jesus a couple of questions, okay? Ask him what you have to be thankful for in those things. Bring him those problems. Bring him that problem at work. Bring him that problem in your finances. Bring him that problem in your marriage. And maybe it's been there 10 years, 15 years, five years, whatever. Bring it to him and say, okay, Lord, I've never asked you this before, but what do I have to be thankful for? What what do I have to be thankful for in this thing? Just start writing down what he shows you. Ask Jesus what he wants to show you about himself in those things. Hallowed be your name, because the whole point is, you're in this thing, and it's bothering you, but we have to come back to the goodness of God. So God, what are you showing me about yourself in this thing? Lastly, ask Jesus what his hopeful heart is in that situation, because he has his heart you you have discouragement bitterness anger frustration fear worry that's not what he has in that bottomless well of sovereignty holiness goodness love and hope so ask him to give you his heart you don't want your heart your heart is tiring you out you want to have his heart his heart in that situation let's pray father i thank you that you are our dad i thank you that you are our father I thank you that we can bring all things to you, and I thank you that you are good in all things. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would release a spirit here in this church of gratitude. That you would take us to school. You've been taking me to school, and I'm still not very far, but I'm farther than I was. Lord, that you would take this church to school, the school of gratitude. That you would make us experts in thanksgiving. That you would make us experts in hallowed be your name, Finding the goodness of the Father in every area, situation, problem in our lives. And out of that, Lord, that you would raise up in this church an army of mighty, faith-filled, joy-filled, powerful, happy prayers who love to bring you their problems, who love to bring you their struggles, who love to talk to you about these things and discover your goodness and discover your character and your attributes in them. In Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen.